It's Wednesday, March 16th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 394 of Through the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 46 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Pat. And this is Wayne. Now it's all small. Yeah, it, well, <laughs> it's just because it's sorry. Whoa! I'm finished. <laughs> well, at least I don't use them in every position possible. Okay, so Wayne, to uh... explain to you guys at home what they're talking about, <laughs> it took us quite a bit more than it should have to get ready to record this because I was having trouble getting the audio levels right. And it seemed like no matter which way I moved the volume slider, nothing was changing. And it turns out that's because I was moving the volume slider on an input that literally is not even connected to the mixer as opposed to the mixer's master volume. You know, Dan, they do say that all men have a problem with their equipment at some point in their life. Well, okay, fine. If you want this to be my whiskey moment then it can be but it's it is funny that you know we're almost 10 years in on this show and this is our second mixer i mean we we had one before this i don't remember what i did with it but after all these years it's like a neurosurgeon who can't complete the surgery because the scalpel's behind his ear (laughs) and probably my best friend in the world certainly my oldest friend he has right um, hand he has a master a master's degree in mathematics Uh he has a phd in physics but if you're like Hey, Adam, what's two plus two? His math has evolved so far beyond basic arithmetic. Yeah, well, there's a lot. I don't think he can do it. There are a lot of things like that in life. Chris's age is one of them where it's like (laughs) it's like Pac-Man. You go so far off one side, you come back on the board on the other side. That's the reason that Chris's age is ostensibly somewhere in the 40s. It's because he's lapped all of the numbers like at least two or three times. I mean, but all of them. If there's a number, he's been that age. And that so amazing. Uh, just on this pass, he's somewhere in his 40s. And I think math is the same way. All right, anyways, one announcement, and then we'll get down to it. The one announcement is 1D4Con is coming up. This is in Martisburg, West Virginia, from April 15th to 17th. And this year, this is a note I got from them. This year, we are celebrating four years as a prominent tabletop RPG convention in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, we have a myriad of games available, both indie and traditional styles. D&D Adventure League will have a huge presence, bringing along rare author-only games. And Fei Shen's Fantastical Fair. Pathfinder Society will be making a big splash again this year as well. And we also have some War Machine Hordes. Pat, anything there? No, no, no nothing. No, okay. No. I'm just envisioning the D&D people and the Pathfinder Society people, fighting. Except they're all snapping. And, and sharks and no, oh my goodness no, no, that's no. the first thing that popped in my head too uh, yeah. <laughs> and larping throughout our event as for a charity this year they're running their games of charity program which allows tickets to be purchased and used for special boons and participating games again pathfinder society is offering up a special scenario which players pay a small fee to go to the charity and they will host on their charity auction filled with awesome stuff with all proceeds going to the red wagon ministry Open gaming tables will be available through every slot, and they'll have a vendor area, games, games, accessories. Registration and t-shirt sales are open, so check the show note for links. If you live in the West Virginia area or are willing to travel that way, then be sure to check out 1D4Con. Once again, that is April 15th to the 17th 
in Martisburg, West Virginia. And it's West by God, Virginia. Thank you very much. You know, I noticed your grass is getting a little long out there. Whoa. So we should... We should probably meet up with the Happy Jacks guys again, because you need to get someone to mow that. Yeah, and we are. Actually, we're going to be recording with them. And then the next episode of ours, we will have two of them on here. So we'll have them on to trim Dan's bush. That's exactly precisely what they're going to be doing. So, Dan, who's who's the the strange little bobble-headed man on there? I've been looking at that since I got here. I'm like, what the hell? Okay. Darth Malagas is about to kill, by the way. Yeah, so, all right. Who it is and where it came from are equally bizarre. Okay. All right. So I I love it. I would love to tell you I know the story behind this. (laughs) I don't. Okay. All right. So, once again, for you guys at home... The recording studio is an absolute freaking mess. One of these years, I'll get off my depressed and anhedonic ass and actually (laughs) clean this thing out, put up some decorations and whatever. But across the top of the desks that the recording setup is on, there's like a shelf over the computer monitor, and there's some collectibles on there, one of which Wayne gave me. He gave me a Slimer bank. But I have, like, a rare toy of the Transformer RC from the original Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. The one, the pink car, not the motorcycles from the later movies. Yeah. But about, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago, up pops this bobblehead of Noah. Like, is a Noah from the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what's in his hands that looks like a puffball is the dove that he sent out yeah okay except his head is broken off oh (laughs) now awesome here where did this come from is the next question because i did not go out and seek a bobblehead of the biblical figure noah yeah okay that's just not on my to get list of collectibles (laughs) (laughs) well of course it's not because you already got it (laughs) yeah i yeah i have one i have i have the broken headed dove edition yeah but that's a rare that's the only one to get yeah the crazy thing is where that is from, and I have no idea how it got here, and I've accused Carla of robbing someplace, uh-huh. is that was sitting in our church. So I think Carla may have boosted something from our church and put it in the recording studio. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, I have nothing to back up that that's how it made its way from church to this recording studio. But that's the story I'm going with because it's incredibly defamatory. (laughs) I'm thinking as creepy as that thing looks, maybe it's like the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. When you don't look at it, it just moves. The other thing I don't get is why is there an Aramark logo? Oh, I wondered what that said. It's an Aramark logo. Which is... I have no idea. That's even stranger because... There is one other bobblehead that's been floating around. It's not in here. In fact, I I think this one, unless Carlos boosted it as well, is still at church. But this one's even creepier and kind of funny. One of the guys that goes to our church for several years, he was the pitcher for a local minor league team, the River City Rascals. And he actually was a really, really good pitcher. Like, he did incredible seasons, had a great record. The only reason he didn't make it to the majors is despite pitching tons of shutout games, apparently the scouts wanted his fastball to be a little bit faster than it was. or It was something really stupid like that. And so now I believe he's the team's general manager. But somewhere there's floating around a bobblehead of this guy. And if you've never seen a bobblehead of someone you personally know, it's a somewhat surreal experience. So. 
Interestingly enough, so on the bottom of this Noah, that's a shill for the Aramark company, yeah. which is which I I don't know how national they are, but around here it's basically it's a catering company, yes. large scale that that does like the food ah. at, at, at businesses. I've yes. never heard of it. Yeah, they, well, they do it. They at my work, I know they do it. At, I, I yeah, it just many works. But anyway, so on the bottom of this Noah bobblehead is a sticker that says. Destroyer Promotional Products LLC. <laughs> so Noah has a destroyer. Noah the destroyer. The Noah the destroyer. But you would so, think, yeah. I think he bit off the head of that dog. I, I do too. Kind of like I Ozzy think he, Osbourne. Yeah, he was going for Ozzy well, before Ozzy was cool. The other crazy thing is okay, so if you're Aramark and you decide you're going to make a bobblehead and you're like, you know, we're just going to go full sacrilege and do a religious figure, wouldn't you pick one that's associated with food? I mean, there are, if, even if you want to go Bible, right? There's people in the Bible that. Fed other people, right? Sure, I mean, like Jesus. You have Jesus. Yeah, I have a, 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 a loaf of bread in one hand and, yeah. and fish. And, and you'll be perfect. Noah had two of each kind of food on that boat. <laughs> he actually had seven of each kind of food, Wayne. Wow, <laughs> see? Now, that's interesting. Yeah, and he has his umbrella like that. That's the element that kills that, me. Is yeah. that he's he's got an umbrella, but then he's got his low his lower lip puffed out, right, all stuck out, and he's looking up at the sky and he's like, Huh, I guess it does look like rain. <laughs> I like it. But the head paired with an umbrella. Well, and, and the I headless think, and the headless that, dove. I think the destroyer chose Noah, not Aramark, but destroyer did because I'm like, who's the one dude in the Bible that wiped out the whole earth? Or at least, I mean, God did that, obviously. But you know, who was involved? He, in he was involved yeah, in right. the destruction of the entire earth. Noah the destroyer. Yeah. So there you go. I I have no idea how this ended up in here. I seriously have none. Well, I love it. It's going to everything else and all of this. <laughs> pile of room i can explain everything else in here that is the one thing i have no explanation for all right so we do have a gaming topic today we're not just talking about noah the destroyer oh he'll make a comeback (laughs) he'll be relevant i'm sure i need to find a way to work that into a game at some point yes it does seem like well wayne you read a lot of the superhero and magic games just the superhero games and games that have magic in them it does seem like you could have somebody who has like water powers and thinks they're like the reincarnation knowers, modeled themselves after him, or just picked the name. And or just so, loves cubits. Yeah. Or or it could have been Wolford Brimley from uh, that stupid Ewok movie. That, wasn't his name Noah? Oh, hmm. good night. I don't know. I think it was. See, you know, you I, said Wilford Brimley, and I only just thought about oatmeal. And I Diabetes thought about Cocoon. <laughs> and Liberty Mutual. Yeah. All right. I now know exactly how I'm working him into a game. And The Thing. God, I love John Carpenter's The Thing. You love John Carpenter's Thing. Oh, yeah. It's all gnarled and smoky <laughs> like his fingers. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So what? And wild. <laughs> Here's what we're actually talking about today, game-wise. There is a poll that I posted on Fear the Boot's Twitter feed. Once again, if you don't follow us, twitter.com slash Fear the Boot. There was a poll that I posted because I was actually, at the time, I was tinkering with some rules for a game. I kind of got stuck on something. Analysis paralysis is one of my great enemies. So just out of curiosity, I put up a poll on our Twitter feed just to see what people would say. And I asked them, I said, okay, so assuming you have to err one way or the other, all right? So finding the perfect balance in the middle is not an option. You have to err one direction or the other. Would you rather a game have too much crunch or be rules light and have too few rules? So would you rather the game be quick playing and narrative or rules light or would you rather be crunchy and have more detailed rules? Okay. How do you think our fans voted? 
Definitely uh, low rules. Wayne thinks low rules. You guys agree. I don't know. I don't think I pay enough attention to the forums, and I don't twat or tweet or Twitter or whatever. But I have twatted. I'm, I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to say crunchy versus non-crunchy. I'm going to agree with Wayne just in, just because he, we're talking about our listenership. If it was a broader net than that, I would go the other way See, because I, I would be the other way myself in, in rules heavy. I, but I, I think, think with our I think the people that listen to us are more. Here's why I disagree. More granola. Because I, I thought about this myself. Because I, I, I like the granola games. But when it comes down to brass tacks, I must choose something that is hippy-dippy and amorphous and not defined. And something that is strictly defined that is going to reduce the number of arguments and reduce erroneous interpretations of rules, etc. I think people like that structure if they have to pick between the two. Let me give the results of the poll. And then, Broder, I want to come back and question you on something you just said. So the results of the poll, we had several hundred people answer. And by two-thirds to one-third, almost exactly, people picked they would prefer the system to be rules light and give the GM room to maneuver as opposed to being rules heavy. Now, even if you're not interested in game design, even if you're not looking to design your own game, I still think this has use to anyone in a game because you can still be making decisions about which of the available rules are we going to use? Or if there's something we're about to hit that the base game doesn't cover, do I need to go out and find a supplement or a column or something like that that gives rules for this? Or should I just narrate it and wing it and go more of the granola route. And so I think there's still something useful in this, even if you're not designing a game, because, uh, you know, if you think about the act of gaming itself still requires an amount of design, requires decision making. But by two thirds to one third, I certainly know this is not statistically significant, but at least the people that answer this poll overwhelmingly chose rules light. Now, Broder, the question I want to ask you and I've got a couple people that actually told us why they voted the way they did that I want to quote, because I think they raised some good points, both directions. But Broda, I want to ask you something. You talked about having more rules as a way of reducing arguments and such. In my experience, it's been the reverse, that the more letter there is to the law, mm-hmm. the more room people have to get in there and say, well... This rule contradicts that rule, which the more you stack up is going to invariably happen. Or this particular sentence could be read two or three different ways or who knows what. It hasn't been your experience that being able to. I certainly have had that experience where multiple people at the table are looking at a particular rule and you've got two people interpreting it in you know in, in opposite ways and generally in my experience it is one person interpreting in a way that this is what is going to benefit my character and my character's action and my maximum execution of power in this specific moment and another person is saying well I don't think that was the intention of the rule and here's why but What I found in my gaming experience is that it really is going to boil down to the spirit of the game, right? And so for me, when I'm playing a Dungeons & Dragons or I'm playing a Pathfinder or I'm playing something that has a lot of rules to it, I find comfort in that there are a lot of rules and that there are a lot of things to find and that we all have we all have access to these rules. And it does sort of cut down on the malarkey arguments. With that said, I've never had 
a dispute in a rules light game because the spirit of the game is to be non-combative and rules light and kind of easygoing. And so I think I don't think it lends itself to that kind of debate anyway. But I think gamers in general in my experience with the people that I game with, we like a little bit of structure. Right. We like we yeah. like rules. We like confines. Yeah. We like to be able to say, this is what a longsword does, whether you're holding it or he's holding it or he's holding it. It's always a D8 plus this modifier. This is what a fireball does. Sure. This it, is it what adds, that does. Rules, yeah. rules right. add predictability. Right. So on okay. the two ends of the spectrum, I've had fun games where it was just a case of, we have a D20, we're going to roll a D20, just roll high. And I've had games that never got off the ground because the rules were too complicated to figure out how to run it. And that's why I tend to err on the side of the rules light. But I also get really pissed off at some of the rule light systems. Because when I'm playing a game, I want my character sheet and my character to be good at things, bad at things. I want it to have an impact. And if whatever I'm rolling has nothing to do with my actual skills, which I've seen in some really rules light systems where it doesn't really matter that you say you're good at this, you're going to roll 2d6 no matter what. That drives me insane. Like, it frustrates me to no end. It actually makes me angry at the game. Well, and arguing on the side of more rules for a moment, rules add consistency, like Broder said, oh, this alongside does a d8 regardless of who's holding it. Rules add transparency. And to draw from analogy outside of gaming... The Bill of Rights exists to protect the people from the government. Because they knew when they were crafting it that ultimately the government was going to take advantage of us and we were going to get screwed either which way. So they were trying to cut them off at the pass. And you know something else I like about crunchy games? They protect me from the Game Master. Right. And I'm not saying that even in the sense that the Game Master has to be some abusive prick. But the Game Master wants the story to go a certain way. Sometimes, even if it's not really overt and really in your face there are going to be these moments where they want control of the situation they're trying to push the narrative a certain way and the fact that i wanted my character to be a certain way to have certain opportunities because these things aren't defined suddenly the game master has a lot of room to get in there and make something happen that in a con game or a one shot i don't care about but in an ongoing game it's really going to piss me off. I let love me, it when this comes up. Let, because let me, this is the abused GM syndrome. But in all reality, I think you know that if a GM wants something to happen, is the type of person where the rules are something that's keeping you protected, they're going to find a way to make it happen. This is your fig leaf of protection. Well, <laughs> I, You're covering yourself with the fig leaf well, where the GM Wayne, can just blow that away. All I can say is what you're saying isn't false, <laughs> but in practice... That reality has protected me as a player from game masters that are both not on this podcast and also are still active hosts on this podcast. <laughs> Let me flip that coin, though. I look at it from the other, other perspective. As an abused game master, uh, these rules protect me from the players. I have a reasonable understanding of their capabilities, both socially and combatively, what they do with one another. And so I don't feel like that they're pulling the rug out from under me either in a situation where I'm like, well, this encounter was dumb because I had no idea that they had this lame capability from some stupid splat book that I wasn't paying attention to. So the rules... Forgive me for making it sound adversarial, but it provides a level playing field for the players and the game masters that we're not easier. going to take advantage of one another. I think a good way to put it is it makes it easier for you to make an encounter that they're going to enjoy. 
if you know what they have, what they're bringing right. to the table, you can create something not that counters it, but that makes that a fun time that is challenging and encourages them to not only use their abilities to work in Congress with one another. I guess the argument could be made. And I think your poll specifically said not to do something like this, but if you have more rules, you can always hand wave some. This is the point that I retweeted from a guy by the name of David Burwell. He said, I really dislike both extremes, which is fine. The, The question was phrased, forcing you to err on one side or the other. But he goes on to say, but it's easier to ignore rules than invent them on the fly. So crunchy it is. And I think he's got a great point that if you're playing a game, you say to players, you know what? I'm not going to use their rules for mass combat. I'd rather just describe to you what's happening, or I'd rather just have maybe three in a row roll offs just to see how each stage of the battle goes. Then you can do that. But if you have something come up like this came up in a D&D game and the rules exist, Somebody's trying to block a lightning bolt with a levitated table. Will that block the lightning bolt? Well, it'll give you a bonus to reflex save for sure. <laughs> well, the answer <laughs> is it actually, it, you had sat it out that if you assume the table is so many inches thick of wood, then it has, you know, this damage resistance and this many hit points, and this is what it takes to actually get through it. We use that rule because there was some debate, especially because of the fact that Pat's an engineer and most of us are pretty intelligent people, and we took a look at this and said, well, is wood a good conductor or not? And is it this and is it that? And, you know, uh, you can bring up all these other things. Uh, you've convinced me rules light. <laughs> but <laughs> the rule settled it. The rule basically said this is how it works. This is what it does. Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to, we could have ignored that rule. Yeah. But when push came to shove and we needed that rule because of the fact that it was creating a bit of chaos at the table it was in there to look up and to settle the dispute of this is what is fair. This is what, you know, we all have to abide by. Well, and whether it's easier to ignore or create new rules might depend on the GM. I guess it would be pretty easy for Chad to ignore the rule because he won't remember it anyway, but <laughs> he certainly could make up a rule on the uh, fly with no problem. Oh yeah, <laughs> Yes, that's true. The, the analogy that came to mind when you read his, uh, the, the guy's uh, response to the tweet it's always easier to beg forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And I think that applies here in, in, in with the rules. Like if you've got crunch, if you've got a lot of rules, it's easier to ignore an existing rule than it is to have a system with no rules and you have to make something out because in doing so, you're not, if you've got such a rules like system and you start making up a rule, you make it up on the fly. I will goddamn guarantee you it will not be a good universal rule because there are so many things that it will not be consistent with. You know, or that's, that's be, the whole point of making a system and being careful with creating a, a rule set is you've got to make sure balancing. it's playtest and it's balanced. Yeah. yeah, you will not make a balanced rule. You're or gonna it'll make just something be that's a gonna, roll a d20, roll high, and you'll yeah. go back to my issue of, but I have skills. Right. That really is something that annoys me, and I've seen it too many times. I want my skills to mean something. Mm-hmm. I want it to make an impact. Otherwise, then why bother having a character sheet? Just rip it up. What? So what does the skill mean? Is it a number that's modifying a die roll or is it a skill in this rules like game where it says I'm really, really good with computers? I want it to make a difference on whether it's easier for me to be successful at a task or not. Or if it's something where I specifically am bad at it, I want it to have a detriment to whether I'm going to be successful or not. So let's say I have a skill that says I am good with computers. I want that to somehow mechanically make it more likely for me to be successful than not. Gotcha. So you want there to be some sort of 
randomizer and this influences the result yes. of the randomizer. Yeah, because yeah, okay, gotcha. even somebody that is incredibly good can have an off day. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I want there to be something in there that adds to it. Otherwise, why have it on the sheet? Just roll a die and then everybody is the same. I want the character sheet so you've to make fate. me different. Fate's that way, and Spectres is that way to a degree. Fate skills have a big modification. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've played enough Fate that that is not exactly my experience. I mean, when you're talking about from the range of one to four, and then you're rolling the four Fate dice, there's not that great a swing in my experience. But, but there's at least something. There's something there. Agreed. But I it's care- not. It's yeah. not enough for me. But it's at least something. I've right. played games where you don't even have that. There's no fig leaf, if you will. Gotcha. That's my phrase for the uh, episode. Uh, yeah, we know that. Yeah. yeah. Just like Dad was to believe the rules are protecting him, I want to believe that my character sheet is making me better at something. So let me ask this then. I'm sure not to hijack, but I mean, what are your guys' personal preferences? Because for me, I was absolutely projecting when I gave my answer. I would, if I had to pick on the extremes, I want a rules heavy game. I would, it, I would okay. rather have that. Yeah. With that question, my own question turned back on me. I would also choose a rules-heavy game. As would I, 100%. It is a really tough decision for me. I do tend to lean towards the rules-heavy because, like we were saying, you can't ignore things. But, like I said, a rules-light game, you can pick it up and go, and you don't have to worry well, about yeah, it becoming and, too complicated. Well, okay, for picking it up and go is one thing. I, I If you're talking a con game, a game that I'm going to sit down and play for two hours if it's a at, campaign, a, at a con, I'm never going to play it again. I don't give a shit what it is. But if it's a campaign, I want a rules-heavy campaign. The, I, want, I, can, I want a rule system. If I can caveat your question... No. The answer is different for me if we are talking one-shot versus campaign. One-shot, I will always take a rules-light system over I'm, a crunchy I'm system talking for a one-shot. For a campaign, I would rather have a, a crunchy I, system. I didn't include that information in the question. At least I don't believe I did. But the intention behind the question was we're talking about your weekly game. Okay. We're not talking about a one-shot. If we're and I would say, and actually, I would say, crunchy. I would say the better, yeah, the better phrase is overall, what do you prefer? And you're yep. saying, I like some, I like this. I, it depends on the situation or whatever. But no, yep. no. Overall, no matter what kind of game you're playing, overall, what, what do you like better? I, do, I like rules heavy better overall. Crunch. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why I phrase I like one shots. So that's why rules uh, then, then, are really that, good for that, one that is what should That is what should guide your answer then. Because that's what you play overall is one shots. Well, and that's why I phrased the question the way I did. Because I like headless doves too. So <laughs> It's because it's... <laughs> Very easy to say, find the right balance for your group, or I like a yeah. variety of things, or it depends on the situation, or it depends on the game. But I wanted to push an answer. All right, so let me now. Do you know what Noah doesn't know? What it sounds like when doves cry? <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, at least. <laughs> at least. At least for that first moment when he torched the neck. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, so right, so the dove was, was what went out and found the olive branch, which is where the symbol of the olive yeah. branch is peace comes from but he's got this kind of look on his face and it's it's headless and he's like looking at the sky so it's like the dove brought back the olive branch he bit its head off and now he's like looking at god like your move that's right (laughs) what now Uh, bet you didn't see that one coming i see your olive branch and raise you a headless dove I've been on this boat for All 40 right. days and 40 nights. I have to do something for entertainment. <laughs> Let's talk to the other side. I'm going to speak in defense of rules light games because I think they've got several virtues of their own that are worth covering, even if it's not how I went in my pick. 
for starters, they are a lot less intimidating to pick up and to get into. One of the investments you go into in any role-playing game is at least one person has to know the rules and know them well and has to know how to handle disputes in them and what's in the rules, what's not in the rules, that kind of stuff. And having something that's rules like even for a weekly campaign makes a game a lot more approachable both to the game master and to the players. It removes so much of the learning curve. One of the questions we regularly answer on this show, which is why I did that bonus episode, is people hear us talking about Battletech. They take a look at the number of source books and box sets and novels and all the other stuff out there, and they ask, where the hell do I even start? But let's ask an honest question here. How many people are not playing Battletech because they're not even going to ask that question? They're going to walk into a game shop, see that Battletech's got gobs and gobs and gobs of books, and those books are fairly thick and fairly difficult looking. And expensive. Yeah, and it's granted, it's no like task force sort of complexity, but still, it's got its complexity. You can't deny that. And they say, you know what? I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to pick this up. And Battletech is trying to get around that somewhat. They've got this new spinoff game called Alpha Strike that plays a bit more quickly. But how many people even know that exists? Or if they see it lined up next to all these umpteen other products, realize what that product is, assuming they don't have a conversation with somebody who knows the game. And so I think there is a value in having the approachability of the game. You spill a beer on your character sheet at level 16. Is it easier to rebuild a level 16 D&D character or a weird world game? Weird West. Weird West. This is the Stuart Robertson pocket mod game. Literally made out of a single sheet of paper. Whole game. I, we've linked this before. I actually interviewed him on the show, but I'll link it again in the show notes if you guys are interested in seeing that. But... Another point that was raised, and this is where I'm going to go back to Twitter here to quote someone. This one comes from Eric Levendusky. A designer should always be asking, is this mechanic better than vigorous creative discussion? And one of the things that rules can do, their best trait is that they set something in stone. But arguably their worst trait is that they set something in stone. That it does take away a level of creativity and freedom with the story, or at least maybe pushes you that direction, because if a rule is there, there's going to be that desire to use it, or a player may push you and say, hey, I really want you to use this rule. And so there's a level of freedom that you can feel robbed of. I remember the first time that I played a rules-like game, because, I mean, I'm a role player that came out of the late 80s and early 90s. I was used to these bullet-stopping rules book. And the first time that I played a game that was more rules light like Savage Worlds or Fate or something like that, I do remember that it was a real shock to me that things didn't have to be defined. That if something happened, I could explain how it happened or why it happened or even whether it happened. And so there was an amount of creative freedom that suddenly got opened up where instead of thumbing through this book, I got to reach into my own imagination and contribute something to the world. I love that Savage Worlds is considered a rules light system because I don't consider it to be such. I I've still played a lot of, but there's rules for just about anything. It's most it's, people just don't use all of them. It's gloriously crunchy. Yeah, it uh, is. It's, it's glorious. <laughs> it's like it's like I mean, we were talking in the car, and this is not about perfect balance, but it has just enough crunch that it kind of gets stuck in my teeth and can be <laughs> irritating. But it's light enough that it's fluffy and airy and kind of vapid. Yeah. I love Savage. You 
want to do covering fire? There's I, a rule for it's that. It's great. It's, you want, I, I want to do everything with Savage Worlds. So one of my, my babies. One of the things that bothers me with some of the rules light systems is that they go through the trouble of defining some things but not others. So you'll be looking at it and it's like, okay, well, here's all these rules for your running or shooting. But there's no social role here. Yeah. And it's like, I want to be able to talk my way around this. But there's the assumption, I guess, in one of those systems that you just do that. Or you'll be looking at the skills and you have four skills. I'm looking at Apocalypse World, all of the hacks of those. Some of them are very well done. Some of them I find myself really struggling for what would I roll of these four because none of them fit. You know, not not to get to, uh, you know, armchair psychiatrist on it. But for me, I think the distinction is between the rules light game and the crunchy game. The rules light game is a tremendous amount of trust in the game master and the people I'm playing the game with. On the crunchy game, it's a tremendous amount of trust in the people designing the game. Right. And so for me... I mean, I'm 41 years old. I've been I've been hanging out with gamers since I was a little kid. I know gamers, and I think that's why I lean toward the game designer. Well, I also think if somebody is more familiar with crunchy rules, sometimes running a rules light thing really throws them. Best example, Beth, when she was running Monster Hearts for us, she kept wanting there to be a perception skill. There is no perception mm-hmm. skill in Monster Hearts. So she would keep going back to struggling with, what do I have you guys roll? Because... There's nothing to define perception, but she's used to that because every other game that she played had perception. Right. But in the narrative game, the philosophy is, does it further the story that the players see it or does it further the story that the players don't see it? And that's how I make my decision. So your success furthers the story. Ergo, you, for whatever reason, I've picked your character. This is the thing that you notice. Or... If it's important to further the story that you don't notice, then you don't notice it and I describe how it goes, you know, unseen and then this thing occurs, enter combat, whatever. Haha, surprise, because you missed it, but that furthered the narrative. But you've got to trust me, the game master, to make those decisions, whereas with the crunchy game, it's all laid out for me. I wonder if people going the other way, because I haven't really, I've never played with somebody who started with the rules light and then moved to a crunchy. I wonder if they have that same problem, if they're used to just declaring things and now in a new system, all of that's defined. Right. And are their pay, do their players feel robbed because I've got a wicked high perception? What do you mean I didn't see that? That's bullshit, right? And so they, that's, that's an, I think, a problem that you would run into. Yeah, Wayne, that is an interesting point because just being the age that I am and associating with people of a relatively similar age, I mean, ranging from... I guess John or Julie is the youngest up to Chris, who once again, he's kind of like Pac-Man. He just keeps coming on and off the board through different ages. Everyone that I've gamed with, I think has always started on the crunchier side and moved to the rules light side. I don't think there is anyone in my close sphere of contact where their start was inspectors or one of the early versions of fate or fudge or something like that. And then they moved from that into hero system. Now, and they, so they have that perspective of what it's like to move from a free agency to having things more specifically defined. And I think that is an interesting generational observation because, yeah, we're talking about the core of us. We sort of we were around at the beginning 
of sort of D&D style Gygaxian type role playing because that's it was invented back in the 70s. And that's when a lot of us started playing or, well, you know, we were in that first sort of round. So and that was the the crunchy. That was the rules heavy stuff. That's what we knew to begin with. And now and it, I think, the you know, the indie games and the rules light stuff is much more of a a newer thing. It's, you know, it's, it's popped up certainly in the last 10 or more years, but it's, it wasn't at the beginning. You know, and that was something negative that I observed about the heavier rule systems. The, the Palladium universal system is an example of this. Mm-hmm. It's hardly alone. D and D is also quite guilty of this. If you use the rules to define something, obviously you have a finite amount of rule book and a finite number of rules And so eventually you hit a point where the rules cannot define something. Either they don't define it categorically, meaning there are no rules for it whatsoever. Or maybe the category does, but this specific situation, this specific intentional or unintentional abuse of the moment, or this approach to the moment, just isn't covered by the rules. And so the rules have to stop defining something, and narrative has to take over anyway. But where I saw things get kind of weird is... It would seem like a fairly straightforward observation to say you can't define everything with your rules, but it seemed like the response of a lot of these game designers in the early days was to hell I can't. (laughs) And and all of a sudden here comes another splat book and another splat book and another splat book. And we're just rule upon rule upon rule upon rule for the most just absolutely innocuous stuff. Well, but that was also that's also great business model for them to sure. make more money. I mean, well, it, it fed upon itself of... It wasn't until it collapsed. It, right, right, yeah. It, you know, it fed upon itself because I, we can always put more stuff out there and that's the way we do it. But you see that in everything. I mean, that's the same thing like with the collectible card games and, and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the newer stuff with the... Uh, collectible video the games. The collectible video games that we've got now. It's the same kind of thing. We just keep producing more and more. That's why you, you don't see as many big-named rules-like systems well, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like because they're like it, we want to, we as a business, we big business, we want to put out more, we want to put out more books and make more money. I was just thinking about this, and something came to mind. Some of the big systems have the quick start. Yes. Rules. So, okay, GURPS. Yeah. GURPS is a huge system that mm-hmm. has books for everything. They have a free GURPS light you can download. That gives you enough to play the game. And I've known people who have gone from GURPS Lite and then progressed to the regular game. Right, because that's the gateway drug. I mean, that's the point. Pathfinder Beginner's Box. That's not free, but it's a small rules light version that doesn't give you all of the rules. You basically exhaust those rules, and now you're ready for more. You buy Pathfinder. Yeah. Fate Accelerated. Fate Accelerated was the other thing. Yeah, this is all just the first first few hits are free, and then when you're hooked on it, you come back and we own your bank account. But I think think it's the big name's answer to what you're saying, though. Well, yes. That's why you don't see it. They give it away for free, so you want to buy more. there, there is something, though, that I think you're also hitting on there. It's not just the business model of it, but it's a labor model. If I, as an individual, want to put out a role-playing game, for me, and, you know, and I might have some limited number of resources, I might have a friend or two I can tap, I might have enough money to go out there and get an artist or two or something like that to do some illustration, but my ability to put out a product that's as heavily produced and as super well-played tested and all this kind of stuff as, let's say, D&D, it's not real likely. But if I want to sit down and put together a book or a role-playing game but instead of the base book being two or 300 pages of all's art and layout such, maybe it's 30, 40, 50 pages, that's a whole lot more feasible. Mm-hmm. 
And so it gives me, even if we put aside the actual execution of the game, just from a development standpoint, it gives me the opportunity to try and step into a market by, excuse the sort of pop psych terminology here, but by giving myself permission to not explain something. Well, it's also playing to the new mindset. How many games now release their betas as they're being developed and things like that? Betas and early access. Yeah, it's become a huge thing. It's the mindset. People want in as early as possible, even if it's not done. Minimum viable product. And that's what... Blaze in the Dark is doing it. and They're hardly alone. I mean, they're hard. Even D&D 5e. I mean, of course, it started as D&D Next. And the beta, where it was, I think, technically closed, was in reality... Everybody had it. It was floating around all over the internet. and But yeah, I mean, certainly that is, and video games, I think, is a whole other issue where the model's a little bit different and potentially a whole lot more messed up than what you get with role-playing games. It's a mindset, though, that they can play into now that they couldn't have 10 years ago. No, you're correct. People, you're want, correct. people want it quickly. They want it now. They want, yeah. they want to start messing with it. Sure. I mean, you guys, let's go back to Blaze in the Dark. If you guys are still playing Blaze in the Dark, yeah. that campaign's still going on. I mean, you guys are playing a game where there are whole portions of the rules that look like one of those crappy old GeoCities pages with a little animated GIF of under construction coming soon. Yep. It is and, frustrating at times, but it's not as frustrating as when I've seen things like that in other games because we know that it's still being developed and yeah. we get updates and things. So it's like, okay, sure. that's not in there, but it's probably going to be in the final product at least. Yeah. But it I, is difficult. I think I think though with this experience with Blades in the Dark though, it is a happy combination of playing it with Chad. And what I mean by that is I'm playing a game with Chad that is actually has rules in it, and I'm so unused to that because <laughs> yeah. Chad is the prime example of the rules light, the no rules at all, the the literally the sitting around a fire and getting you know navel gazing and, and and talking about what your character's doing <laughs> and he gets and, excited when there's new rules updates and I know and yes and it's like my god it's like you know if it was anybody if, if I was playing this in any other situation I probably would be much more annoyed with the fact that this is beta and it's like there's so much that's not defined but it's with Chad and it's like I'm going from nothing to something and it's like oh my yeah. god this is fantastic we're talking and interpreting rules with Chad yeah it's 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 just it's and, surreal. He's, and he's having fun with it I'm really enjoying this campaign I like I said I I really am and I hope that's not the the you know the curse of it but but I, it, it's good because I think it's a good experience for him too because he needs some rules and it, you know and I think it's good and I think he's maybe he's seeing that you know maybe rules aren't so bad as I thought maybe I've just been thinking about D&D all the, these years and I've just hated it because it's such a bad experience so yeah, just, I've totally gone that. the other direction maybe game prep and notes aren't such a bad thing exactly yeah I wouldn't hold your breath on that I think you've caught him in a phase yeah but enjoy that phase while it lasts mm-hmm. oh yeah we are so Chad's not going to be running uh, Pathfinder anytime soon is that what you're saying oh no he never would no he did run Path. well we ran Pathfinder no we didn't <laughs> no no okay. we didn't we sort of ran no, Pathfinder that, that was that was nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. Pathfinder slash D&D it was Chad and D yeah it was Chad and C and D no D <laughs> <laughs> oh there was some D in yeah but I mean that's, you know, that's Chad I, I, I don't mean to really rag on him Chad knows I love him in, in a hateful way so but yeah isn't, he's, that, isn't, that, isn't that like the best friendships are yeah like my, yeah. my, my other really really close friend Anthony he's got this thing he's like you know we've been friends so long I don't really like you anymore exactly that's the truth <laughs> yeah I think friendship is yeah. something like marriage that mm-hmm. you could tell people yeah, they got by fat. the way they fight <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, if Chad wasn't on here and we didn't poke him some 
then he yeah, would think he something's th- wrong. Right. You'll notice yeah. that the people that I never insult on the show, we don't do ambush interviews. We've never done an ambush interview, even the one where people were kind of suspecting we were going to, and we had the furry LARPer on here. We, we've never done an ambush interview. The only people that we really go out of our way to insult one of two categories of people. The people we really genuinely, truly don't like or the people that we absolutely love. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in the middle. If we don't say anything negative about you, then you fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. If you are our bestest friend or our worstest enemy, you're the person that we're going to call f***er. And that's just kind of <laughs> how it goes. So, yep. But it looks like you've got your first example of someone who's gone from rules light to moving in the direction of more rules. No, because his background was still in very rules heavy. Okay. He just chose, I mean, because keep in mind, he got his start pretty much exclusively as a player. He didn't start game mastering until quite a few years into his gaming career. And when he did, getting Chad to sit down and to focus on something like math and procedural concepts and structures and whatever... It's not an easy thing to have happen. And I and would so still call this rules like he too. just he sort of sort of shortcut the rules saying that, look, I really don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'd rather tell a story than study the book. And so he just shortcut it. Yep. But his background was still in rules heavy games because for many, many years I was his primary game master or this guy named Paul is his primary game master. And Paul was a bit more rules light narrative in his thinking than I was. But we were still both fairly, you know, Let's use the rules. Let's stay internally yeah. consistent. If it's written, we'll go with it sorts of guys. So his background was still very much in the the traditional late 80s through mid 90s mm-hmm. sort of gaming. Okay. Well, I think we're going to end this one here. So I want to thank everyone that participated in the poll and also thank the two gentlemen that we quoted. And I want to thank everyone that gave us feedback. Obviously, we couldn't get to all of it. I also want to thank Noah the Destroyer. Yes. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, I guess we'll find out where he came from on Judgment Day when <laughs> I'll just I'll hang around and see if God brings it up to Carla or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.